0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your spirit to us that he might open the eyes of our hearts, that we might behold Jesus, and that he is the great giver of your spirit to us who are your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John the Baptist begins uh, a great ministry there outside of Jerusalem in the countryside of Judea, so much so that he gathers so much attraction. People from all over uh, decide to come and be a part of this ministry, whether they liked John or not. It was really a cultural phenomenon. And his ministry was based primarily on the baptism in the River Jordan, or if you're an Auburn fan, the River Jordan and it was a baptism for the repentance of sins. People were confessing their sins, and as a sign of their repentance, they underwent uh, this baptism there in the river. And so he had this remarkable message of one of repentance, but it didn't end there. The rest of his message was to point to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, He is the one to whom you should fix your eyes. Not me or my ministry, but look to him. Indeed, John was sent to prepare the way for a people unprepared. Even in Jesus' day, Jesus not being that much younger really than John the Baptist, his cousin, Uh, The idea uh, amongst uh, the Jews of the day was that a Messiah would come, uh, someone who would uh, restore the glory of the old religion and indeed be a political Messiah that would get rid of the Roman Gentile rulers, the pagans that had infiltrated their uh, homeland and would send them packing back to Rome and the great throne of David and Solomon would be restored and this Messiah would reign upon that throne. But John says no. That's not the kind of Messiah that is coming. A Messiah is coming who will take away sin but also grant the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now throughout the Old Testament the word that God had given to the people of Israel was really mainly to the people of Israel. But you see, all of a sudden, there's a shift in tone because now John's message is to the individual. It transcends race, religion, creed. The message is for everybody, not just one people group. I mean, a people as a whole can repent, but the process of repentance... Confessing individual sins and undergoing baptism, that's an individual decision. And so the call that John has on the lives of individuals is an individual call. But the people weren't prepared for a Savior like Jesus. Jesus says, John the Baptist says about Jesus that you have to reckon with Jesus as he is, not who you think he is, or who you would like him to be, a great teacher, a social justice warrior, a political leader, no, there will be none of that with the real Jesus. Of course, Jesus will change lives, and as a result of that, there will be a moral response to want to do those sorts of things. But Jesus comes primarily to set people right with God. Now, you can go back and listen to my Christmas Eve sermon, which only scratches the surface that Jesus came to save and reign. But here we see John being more emphatic in declaring Jesus has come to be a personal Savior. And this is interesting. Because John himself is the biggest thing on the scene right now. I mean, his ministry is going, it's at its peak. And yet John says of this one who is to come... I'm insignificant compared to him. If I were to ask you, who was the greatest Old Testament prophet, who would you say? Moses? Isaiah? Jeremiah? Jesus actually tells us who the greatest Old Testament prophet is. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, he says that John the Baptist is the greatest amongst the prophets. You say, wait a minute. John the Baptist is on the right-hand side of the Bible. Everybody in the Old is on the left-hand side. But the new covenant instituted by the blood of Jesus Christ is not instituted until the Last Supper that he has with the disciples where Jesus says, I'm making a new covenant with my people. A covenant that will be made by my cross in my resurrection. But up until that moment, the old covenant is still in place. This is why you see Jesus and the disciples going up to the temple to worship. But with Jesus' death and resurrection, that is finished and completed. And the new covenant of faith in his blood is established. Jesus comes not as a political revolutionary, but to start a spiritual revolution. He comes to start something that is altogether new and different. The old is gone. The new has come. The old covenant is fading away. And John the Baptist, who represents the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, himself says, I must decrease in order that he might increase. Jesus himself says in Mark chapter 2, in verse 22... No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. If you thought John the Baptist's word was hard, and it was, I mean, John the Baptist was landed in prison and lost his head, not over political statements, but telling Herod to repent of his licentious lifestyle. You brood of vipers, who told you to flee from the wrath that is to come? As hard as that word was, it was still part of the old covenant, and that's why people could make their way out from Jerusalem and Judea and from all over the countryside. But Jesus has come to do something altogether new. I don't know about you, but, and I've had this experience. If you've ever been part of an institution, maybe a school, a club, something of the like, that in one point, at one point in time was glorious and was really had its heyday, but now has ebbed to the point of needing to be closed. I mean, emotionally, it's virtually impossible to shut down a storied institution like that, isn't it? It's so difficult. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's not come to rejuvenate Judaism, but He's come to start something altogether different. John says, I can offer you all of the sacramental acts of baptism and the priest and the sacrifices, the altar and the temple, but look to Jesus because what he brings is much greater than that which I offer. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This morning at nine o'clock we celebrated uh, baptisms and they're always so wonderful and a very visible witness of God's grace uh, to his people. But it's no coincidence that this passage arrives on a day that we set aside for baptisms in the life of our church. And as I told the nine o'clockers this morning, uh, do not look to me as your minister to administer salvation. Salvation. I can pour water over the child's head, but only Jesus Christ can save him. The water is a sign that points to Jesus. It's no mere dedication either. We're not saying, God, we give him to you. But in fact, God gives him to his parents. A sacrament by its very definition is something that is directed to us, not something that is directed toward God. That's why John says, look, my baptism is you offering yourself up to God, repentance, forgiveness of sins, but Jesus is going to give you something. And often our water baptism does not coincide with our baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm not talking about the people that you turn on the TV at 2 in the morning and they want you to put your hand up against the screen and then all of a sudden you're rolling on the floor. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that equips you to do the ministry that Jesus Christ has given you. And you're overwhelmed by who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And this coincides with you putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you've been baptized as a baby, I would imagine your testimony says, but then I came to faith after my baptism. And if you were baptized as an adult, I would imagine that your testimony says, I came to faith before my baptism. I experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit actually apart from my water baptism. It's when I turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith that I actually experienced God's grace and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in my life. As the great John Fletcher once said, every Christian must experience his own Pentecost. John realizes, I must get out of the way. Absolutely, I serve a function in ministry. But what's more important is that you fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and understand what He gives you. Salvation. The power of God's Spirit that dwells within you. This is often confused in our church. In our own tradition, as I said this morning, the reason why we have confirmation is because we believe exactly what I've just said. That we want to give children and adults the opportunity who have been baptized as infants to stand before the congregation and publicly declare their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To respond to those vows that their parents and godparents made as their own. And we call that confirmation But in our tradition, confirmation is often treated as a Gentile bar mitzvah. We've had children who, when they made it to the sixth grade, have said, I'm not ready to profess my faith in Jesus Christ before the congregation yet. And we've told them, well, then you probably shouldn't. We don't want to encourage you to lie We want you to be honest and we're going to support you and we want to continue to minister to you and we hope that one day you come to that place where you can say, yes, I believe on Jesus Christ for my everything. But then the parents come in. But we already ordered the pedophores. (laughs) Grandma and Grandpa are coming. We've got it all laid out. But confirmation is much more significant than that. And and then the idea that by the bishop laying his hands on our heads that all of a sudden then we get the Holy Spirit as if the bishop is Benny Hinn in a mitre. No, confirmation is the person standing before the congregation and confirming their own faith. I believe The Holy Spirit already dwells within me, which is why I have the ability to say, I'm putting my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the baptism that matters. Now, some of you this morning say, I want that power. I find in my life I'm languishing, I struggle. Life in the Spirit is not all sunshine and lollipops. It's not always happiness. In fact, in the Christian life, more often than not, it's valleys. The Bible tells us that. And yet the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives confirms upon our heart that no matter what is going on, no matter how high the sea is raging and how hard the wind is blowing, that God is for you. And then if you've done nothing to earn God's favor and love, there's nothing that you can do to unearn God's favor and love. You are in the very palm of his hand and nothing, no person, no circumstance can pluck you out of his hand. It is the joy of your salvation that you belong to Jesus Christ now and forever. Clearly in the Bible, there are times where we do struggle. But we should pray that the Holy Spirit of God would come and refresh us and inhabit our hearts and give us the strength for ministry. Revive our hearts, O God. And the way that you do that is, yes, praying unto God. But doing what John the Baptist says, if you want to know the power of the Holy Spirit fix your eyes upon jesus who will give you that spirit spirit and continue and carry out that purpose for which he has for your life we're not all that much unlike the people in john the baptist day unprepared for such a messiah and yet jesus has come and he has come to pour out his spirit upon us if we would but open our hearts to him and surrender to him and fix our eyes upon the Lord himself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, life is difficult and we often want to try to make our own way. But Lord, we know that your office is at the end of our ropes. And so Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus into the world to save us. We thank you for not leaving us alone but sending us a helper who is the Holy Spirit, and we pray that he would dwell mightily in our lives and that we would be so consumed by love for you that we might experience the Holy Spirit day in and day out in our lives and that we would know that power even unto salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.